Welcome to the Long Come Norwich podcast, a regretful ramble on the ramifications of a ramshackle relegation. I'm Tom, and I'm joined as ever by ACM founder John. Hello. Uh, we've also been joined by Paddy Davitt, one of the poor souls uh, actually paid to go up and down, schlepping around following what has been a dreadful Premier League season. Hi, Paddy. Tom, just to clarify, it's so actually do the pay, and if it was down to me, I wouldn't be going anywhere to watch this. I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I did. I did mean you were paid to do it, but I mean, I'm certainly, I'm certainly sure it isn't enough. Um, we're not going to be all doom and gloom. We are determined to be positive um, as long as we possibly can. So, with that, I throw to you, Pad. Give us some reasons to be positive. You know what? I'm not going to pronounce his first name, but. Uh, uh... As we're recording this, it's an hour or so after they press the button on number two, Mr. Poiheta, I think he's called. I'll leave Chris Gorham to come up with the definitive. So there's one. Second one, Jakob Sorensen, uh, allied to the other three, City, McCallum, Sinani, who obviously came in a little bit earlier in the year, but essentially that's five new faces uh, for what lies ahead, and there's more in the pipeline. So um, Barley Mumba, that's a done deal. They'll push that out, I think, in due course. And then a couple maybe for the 23, Sebastian Soto. I'm sure everybody has seen that name out there. He's done. And also Matthew Dennis, the lad they got from Arsenal. So I think my maths, I didn't do very well at GCSE maths, but I'll make that seven names. Um, so if you want a positive, that in, in, in the case, and maybe underlines what Stuart Webber said uh, last week, that there has to be a turnover to the squad. And obviously with that, you would hope, bit more renewed optimism that okay that's that door closed let's open the next door see what lies behind that what about you punt are you thinking that uh loads of new faces is going to uh, effectively get rid of this overhang that's likely of being on a losing streak yeah it's, i mean that's really difficult for me is that there's there's a balance to be struck because ultimately you look at this squad of players and you think well if you if you could get them engaged, if you could get them motivated again, if you could get them up for the fight again, they've already proved they're good enough to to pretty much romp the championship. And that was after an iffy start as well, you know. And then we started to build momentum and, and believe. If we could get them believing from you know kind of whenever it is, mid September onwards, um, we'd have a real shout at it. However, and that is the big however, um, the last ten games have been utterly dismal. And as much as I can't really. It doesn't really feel like football to me. It's going to feel like football to the squad um, because, you know, they've been there in the stadium and we haven't. So I think that, yeah, there's going to be churn. There's absolutely going to be churn, um, but that needs to be in a balanced way. And, and hopefully, you know, Stuart Webb is savvy, savvy enough to do that. The big positive for me, I think, um, and I was just looking at the, the weekend's game, is Christoph Zimmerman. You know, he's come back. He's looked really, really good. I think, you know, in the, in the limited game time that, that he had. But he's probably been the biggest miss for me all season. We've talked on this podcast ad for an item about the lack of leadership and, and the lack of leaders on the pitch. And actually during that championship campaign, well, he was captain for probably half a season, but he was just a huge leader. Him and Krull, you, you'd kind of see them cajoling the defence, organising the defence. And also he's just, he's so composed on the ball for a lad who's technically not the best. He just he doesn't ever look like he's in that much trouble and he plays out from the back with a, with a relative confidence that actually we haven't seen that much this season. So I'd say Zimbo captain next season, that would do me. So that's interesting. You mentioned the leadership element of, you know, Hanley and, and Zimmerman and, and, and Tim Krull. Um, Pad, that's something that we've really lacked this season, isn't it? L- leadership and, and, and you only have to look at our dreadful 
um, result, well, results full stop, but particularly the, the stats around, you know, never coming back from behind to even get a point. Um, you know, as soon as we concede a goal, basically that means we're going to lose. That, that's, that's resolve, surely. That's character, no? To a degree, yeah, I'd agree. But I think Farker actually hit the nail on the head when he was talking in terms of those younger players who are now not just ones he drops in and around an experienced leadership core and, and go and express yourselves. I mean, I'm talking Cantwell, Aarons, Lewis, Godfrey. They're now being relied upon. And I think, as he said, this is the first real setback in their young careers. Up to this point, what have they known? Championship title win, promotion, England under-21s, being told how great they are, yada, yada, yada. But now they've been asked to step up and, and they look what they are to me increasingly, and particularly since we came back um, Southampton onwards. Young players really weighed down with the burden and expectancy and not able to sort of handle that leadership, as you say, which hasn't, because of the injury situation, been around them. So, yeah, I, I think I think that can't be underestimated, that while they are good players, they will probably go on to have very good careers. I think right now, palpably, collectively, that core of young players haven't been good enough for Norwich in the Premier League this season. And, and of course, the problem is then, you know, as the confidence soared, particularly with younger players last season when they could do no wrong, when it starts tipping the other way and you every week and you reference that stat to me, that's the most, of all the stats I'm seeing, that is the most damning. I think it's 26 Premier League games this season, falling behind, not even a solitary point, let alone a comeback win. That, to me, cuts to the heart of the matter that you can talk about the quality element, yes, we know that. You can talk about the injuries to key players, yes. But ultimately, when the confidence is drained, um, they look shells of the players they were last season. Especially going back to what you said, uh, Punt, about reasons to be confident um, going into next season. You know, we romped the championship, yes. And how did we do it? Mostly it was with comeback wins. Mostly it was with going and going and going until the end. Now, the, the positive side of things is that um, one of the reasons we did that is because our patience and our style of play, you know, Farker's plan A and, you know, they only want to make plan A better, etc. We know that. Um, works against championship defences who eventually tire, who eventually can't keep switched on for that amount of time. And the difference it seems to have been in, in, this, in its simplest form is effectively um, what doesn't happen is uh, even if we do keep our keep going with plan A again and again and again in the, in, in the Premier League, the, the defenders are just too well drilled, too disciplined, mentally too switched on. That's why they're playing at that level. And, and there isn't the that final chance to, to thread the needle and get that, that, that easy tap in for, for Buki within the six yard box that he got so many of his goals last season from, you know, Emmy or Francic or someone finally kind of threading the needle. Um, so th- that, that, that is the, the, the positive side is that should start to come back next season playing the way we play. Um, but what, going back to what you were saying, um, Paddy, about the, you know, five, six, seven new faces of which we, we reckon three or four of those are going to bother the first team at the moment. Um, they're all midfield or attacking. So that would kind of point to the fact that they currently don't appear to have plans in place to lose any of these youngsters. And I think you could make an argument that all of the value of the ones that at the start of the season, we thought might even go in January. We thought we might be struggling to hold on to them in January. All of the value of them has gone down. Yes, they've now got Premier League experience, but they've all shown that they've got quite a lot of learning to do to be able to cope at that level. Um, So there's part of me that wouldn't actually be that surprised if we only lost one of those three players at the back. Well, yeah, and who would you say if you had to put you on the spot? Which are the ones of those? I, I, 
I think Godfrey, because Godfrey's yeah. the one where at centre back you're more likely to be slipped in and out. Um, and you know, there's talk. There was talk, for example, of uh, you know Lewis maybe going being back up at one of the larger clubs. Um, and yeah, you can see that with, with a larger club that's in Europe and doing two or three competitions and expecting to have a run in the League Cup and the FA Cup. Then yeah, therefore you're going to get eight games straight away, maybe nine, um, and and then a, a couple of games maybe in the Prem. Obviously, your injury cover. I see that, but. I feel like the, the fullbacks are less likely to settle for that, whereas I feel that Ben Godfrey is more likely. It, it, it has seemed since last season that the agent push and the uh, that we've seen it before with the Murphys and, and Rio's tweets. You know, when there's that when there's that push, there's that bubble around the player. He seen everything seems to be pointing and has done for a while to him being happy to be centre-back number three or four at a Prem club, whereas the full-backs, I feel maybe they might get cancelled that you really need you need another 30, 35 games next season to continue your development. I don't know if you think the same there, Pad. Yeah, I mean, it's my personal opinion. I think if I look at those three specifically, I think the one who, who probably would go would be Aaron's. And, and the reason I say that is because I think he, over the piece, has looked a bit more consistent than Ben Godfrey. I thought Ben Godfrey had a good game, actually, despite his horrendous goal against Burnley. But but that was that was what was open to see from Ben Godfrey week in, week out. And going back to my previous point about if he'd, if he'd had a really experienced operator alongside him week in, week out, I think you'd have seen his level of performance raise, which probably does, to underline your point there, Tom, that maybe he isn't ready to go in. And But for me, I think Aaron's... And the reason I think why Norwich would probably look um, more favourably on an Aaron's deal is because... They've got Sam Byram. They've got Bali Mumba to come in. So it's almost because ultimately, you know, Stuart Webber isn't going to sell any of those players and then try and replace them because, as we all know, if Norwich then go armed with wads of cash, there'll be an extra zero or two on the fees. So if I look at it from a detached point of view, I'm seeing that they've already got two ready-made right-backs. I don't think necessarily centre-back-wise, if you let Godfrey go, you'd probably still need to go and bring one in, even if Closer was staying, even if Zimmerman and Godfrey, uh, sorry, and Hanley, fitness-wise, could last the pace in the Championship. I still think they'd be one light, whereas I can see I can see a scenario, and of course, on the other side, you've got McCallum now to come in and compete with Jamal Lewis. So, yeah, I, I just think Aaron's is the one for me. If, if they're going to, and I'd broaden that out to, to include Campbell and Buendia, if they're going to allow one of the crown jewels to go, I think it'll be Aaron's, and I think they'll, they'll probably get the better fee that they can out of that group for him because he has come with this um, out of nowhere really in terms of last season football league young player of the year England under 21 regular now every window subsequently probably the last two or three windows it's Tottenham it's Arsenal uh, Wolves in the last sort of week there's a lot of noise around him now and, and I'm I would be flabbergasted, frankly, if Max Aaron's is still in Norwich's lineup at the start of next summer uh, or at the start of next season. So, yeah, but but your point is valid, Tom. I think, and Stuart Webber cut to the chase with this when he was talking about, without specifically talking to Max Aaron's or a Jamal, but collectively, that group, your next move, do you want to go to a club where you're not going to play regularly? Is that the best thing for your development at this stage of your young careers? As we've discussed, they probably haven't been good enough at this stage for the Premier League. That would still probably apply next season, certainly if they went to a top-tier club. Um, and as Stuart always does, he references James Madison. James Madison has picked a club where he knew he was going to go and play games, yet he was a step forward. And now look at him. Now he's in the England squad. He's getting touted with Manchester United um, in the summer. And, and that was a very good move on a footballing side of view and financially for all parties. And, and I think if you're Max, Jamal, Todd, any even you need to be looking at that for me rather than jumping into a, I don't know, a 
if if there was to be a top six, top ten club, is that necessarily the best move for their careers? Again, on the the fee of that, that, that that's where you then start to struggle because um, the fee that we seem to be wanting, I mean, we, you know, it's going to be thirty five, forty plus for, that they're going to settle for with Ben. Um, so therefore how many of the clubs beneath the top five have got that kind of cash to spend on someone who isn't actually going to be a week in week out starter. We hear that this is going to be a depressed market throughout the summer. And some of the deals so far have even some of the bigger clubs have done kind of cheapies here and there comparatively. So, and and it's a shorter summer. So um, that's the thing. It might be that yes, whilst that logic is completely right for their development, the only way Max might get, the only way we might get something like 20 million that we wouldn't accept anything less than is effectively someone from fifth or sixth above. Um, and you start looking at their fallback positions and it's cover at best because they all look pretty, pretty sound in those areas. I mean, Tottenham maybe because, you know, Mourinho's had a good look at him. We've played him about yeah, six times. Yeah, I was just going to say, Tom, but, but you, that is true. But then if Wolves came in and seriously, I mean, they've got, Doherty, Doherty, who's, who's had a good season, but longer term, mid to longer term, is he a better option than, than a Max Aaron's? Even if Max maybe didn't go in initially to be Wolves' first choice right back, is is that club looking at him from season after and then just drip him in? You know, it looks like they're going to be in Europe again, so there's going to be plenty of games if he went to hypothetically Wolves next season. For me, going back to the James Madison, going to Leicester, that for Max Aaron's is a perfect move because I think he, the expectation won't be quite as high as it would be. I think you'd get more game time and they are a very progressive club. Okay. I mean, moving further up the pitch, you did very briefly just mention him. Let's, let's cover Emmy and Toddy. Now I've said previously that uh, I feel that Toddy is his development this season <clears throat> suggests to me that if we were to have him in a number 10 role, um, he could have a, you know, a, a, an absolutely incredible Barry Butler-esque um, player of the season standard season next season. You know, you feel like him with a bit another year's worth of maturity, stepping down a level in terms of his technical ability being therefore one of the better in the division rather than just kind of coping as he has been this season. I feel that he could be absolutely phenomenal in the championship. Um, what, what do you, whereas other people are reporting Emmy as good as, as, as good as gone. So again, I don't, I don't, I'd be interested to see which of those two you think we might keep because Weber seems to have been very bullish that look, unless we we don't need to sell, so unless there's silly money involved, both of those two are on long contracts. Yeah, he has, but I mean, we've all been around in and around it long enough to know that a lot of that is is signals to to parties who might be out there who might be weighing up moves and a bit of brinkmanship and, and sort of horse trading. I mean, ultimately, I would be staggered if of Aaron's, Buendia, Godfrey, um, Countwell, if two of those don't depart. And that isn't because, to take your point quite rightly, Norwich financially don't need, it's not It's not a James Madison summer. It's not a Alex Pritchard January. It's not a, a Josh Murphy or, or even a Johnny Housen. You know, Norwich can play a bit hard ball, but there's so many moving parts to these stories. It's what the player and his representatives and their families want. It's what potentially a firm interested party is willing to pay rather than the endless speculation. So, and and I, I just would take you back to, to kind of pieces on the jigsaw. And if Aaron's goes, it looks like they've already got a ready-made Sam Barham injury permitting. We hope he comes back fit and firing for the start of the season. You bring in, uh, you bring in Poiweta, um, and you've got Onel Hernandez in the mix as well, and Sinani in the mix, are you now populating those positions behind the Atimu Puki and Adamida, and dare I say, Josip Dermic, um, 
already. No, with no, a, you may not say uh, that, Pad. No, okay. Oh, I'm only factually stating as he's on the payroll, but whether he would be whether it would be a frontline option at the moment, I'd hopefully not. Um, but it, it strikes me that maybe maybe they're taking steps to cover the potential departure of a Buendia. Because ultimately, if you're Stuart Webber as well, yes, you can say we don't need to sell, we don't need to sell. But all these players, a little bit like stocks and shares, their peak value, and then when it goes dipping the other side, and, and he, as the figurehead of, of the football side at the football club, he needs to take a view that if a, a bid comes in, is is that the best they feel they could get for a another player compared to you know six twelve months down the line and and who knows what happens from here nobody knows with any clarity so I personally think to take your point of the two Cantwell in the centre for me all day long it, if in an ideal world it was who who could they keep out of that clutch for me it would be probably Jamal and probably Todd Cantwell and Todd Cantwell in the ten because. I just think that's that's where he's come through at the academy. You can see even before it went pear shaped the other day, and they went down to nine men, and then then it was then it was a non star. You can really expect him to dictate, but 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 the ability he's got in tight spaces, he's always on the move. He, he sees pictures. He's got that energy levels. His energy balletic, levels are yeah, off the charts. Exactly, but it's that balletic movement that he's always on the half turn receiving the ball. He's got pictures around him. Um, he would do some serious damage in the championship, in my opinion, in a 10 role. If he's got pace out wide, he's got protection behind, and he's got a rejuvenated team with Puki maybe stretching the play. So, yeah, if if it was down to me, if I was in Stuart Webber's shoes, I would be moving heaven and earth to keep Cantwell. Sadly, I'm not sure that Cantwell probably wants to stay, given, you know, as we all saw, they had a, a little bit of to and fro, didn't they? Webber made it quite clear what he felt at Cantwell's bright and... Uh, protest at the final whistle and, and Cantwell came back on, on social media no no names no pack drills but that doesn't tell me that they're probably on the same page so that, so that would be a concern but if, if purely football in terms Tom Cantwell in the championship in the 10 bring it on John Punt talk to me about Farker let's give him a report card I would like a mark from A to a fail um, what would you give him for this season and this season alone this season alone, it's it's really difficult to judge. I think I'd, pre- I'd probably, if he were going headlines, I'd give him a D. I think he's he has he hasn't been at the pass rate this season, but it's difficult to judge purely because there's been there's been so much nuance to why this season has has gone badly. Stuart Webber's come out and he's gone, yeah, blame me. You know, it's it's all my fault. The recruitment was really poor. It's not as simple as that, is it? You know, it's it's clearly not as simple as that. Um, Farker, whilst he had us fairly well drilled at the start of the season, you know, and the, and the results, or certainly the performances reflect that, it, it hasn't, something's not been quite right. But I've said it over and over again, as soon as we've lost momentum, we've, we've kind of struggled to, to rebuild that, we've tried to struggle to rekindle any kind of belief. And some of that has to fall to Farker, because the head coach's job is to motivate your troops, it is to cajole them, it is to make sure that, that mentally they're prepared however there's so much mitigation you know I mean there hasn't been a club I know every club can point to injuries uh, you know at some point or another but actually that just the decimation of our defense kind of September October time was a hammer blow and we've never really recovered from that and we've never really had kind of a settled starting 11 that we can rely on and much of the championship season and what was good about the championship season was essentially it was the same nine or ten core players that were, that were playing most weeks and it was just you know kind of one or two that were injured that, that were interchanging from there 
so I'm not really giving you much of a definitive answer short of, you know, I, I don't think it's just as, you know, as binary as well, Farkas failed and, you know, and get rid of him or give him, you know, two months into the next season. There's clearly a, a good coach there. There's clearly a good head coach that has failed to address some issues this season. He's failed to address set pieces, you know, and, and he needs, it looks like now after three seasons, he needs some assistance with that. And I think that's something they need to rectify over the summer. Um, but at the same time, you know, there's been this, there was still even right up to when football stopped in March, there was still something to like about a lot of our performances. There was still a little bit of swagger there. There was, there was still a little bit of belief there. And it's more about actually when we've come back. I mean, I just, I don't feel, I haven't felt as engaged with the football clearly because we're not there. We're not there to witness it. And, and it just feels like some kind of weird dystopian, you know, pre-season that's just a load of bollocks that, that you know, I can't even really, you know, care about that much. So two, thi- two things on that though, season, Pum. Uh, two things on that though, on. Pum. Um, before you start to go on to kind of restart. Now, Firstly, thank you to all of the ACN flag squad who uh, helped us dress the stadium the best we possibly could. We're appreciative to the club to help um, to, to let both ourselves and Barclay and Norwich in with our flags and banners to try and make it look as much as possible on top of the other corporate advertising stuff they, they put in there. And obviously we had input on the, the, the designs of those wraps. And so we're really grateful that we were able to try and bring a bit of the um, the club a bit of the fans into into to that so thanks to, to you guys for, for helping us out with that um the secondly though on on the restart losing four of them losing six of them wouldn't have surprised at all if you'd have said to us mm-hmm. when football stopped um you're going to lose 11 straight games when you come back i mean it's the worst run for 100 years in the top flight i mean it's just oh, yeah. it's, it's, it's uh, for me it's just there comes a point where you have earned a certain number of brownie points as a coach um, and, there, and there is a certain number of excuses that you can make. Um, and yeah, Dermich, insane red card. Brendia, silly red card. You know, if it wasn't for that, that's not a red in the championship all day long. We know this because of VAR. But point is that they're not his fault. Yeah. Um, but the the consistent inability over three seasons to be able to defend a fucking ball into the box is just, at some point, you've got to teach your boys how to position themselves to clear an aerial ball into the box. We are so poor from set pieces and crosses. I I don't think it's positionally that's the issue. I think that that at the moment they play like a hybrid of of zonal and man market. But it seems to be desire. But the specifics, okay, so whose fault is that? That's the thing. Yeah, and I think Over... some of that comes down to players and leadership, and some of that comes down to, to the coach. But this is um, my point. This is my point. We've been, we have been, we set out at the end of, um, so let's set ourselves as his teachers. We're his form tutors. We've had this pupil, <laughs> Daniel Farker, now for three, three, three school years. At the end of the first school year, we sat down and said, look, some of us were happier than others. And those of us that weren't that thrilled said, these are the things that he needs to work on coming into next year. He addressed most of them with still a couple of major flaws as we went into the Premier League season. But you went, you know what? You've done a fantastic job, even with those clear defensive flaws, lack of plan B flaws, and, and seeming inability to change games from the bench. Um, and, a, and a bit of a, a stubbornness that I still think he, he clearly has. And I don't know, some of the best managers have that. This season, for me, 
yes, the recruitment is a massive get out of jail free card for him because he was sent to, to, to war without a gun and fair play to Weber for holding his hands up, even though he is doing a bit of a political PR game there. Yeah, of he, 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 I appreciate that, but he is right that he did. They didn't do the, the right, the right thing there. Um, but, but likewise, he, he still has been persevering with players that we can clearly see are not as good as players on the bench. And he has not managed to change his shape. I go back to um, the game where uh, Chris Sutton was the summariser. Um, I think it was the Arsenal game. Um, it was to do with the fact that our shape, uh, we hadn't matched up Arsenal's shape. Uh, and it was so painfully obvious uh, after about five minutes to Chris Sutton that we needed to change our shape in order to match up because we were just getting so, we were getting overrun in the, in, in the, um, the fullback positions time and time again. He then changed it at half time. But, but basically the game's gone by then. And, and why is it taking so long to make a tactical change? So they're the two things that I feel he still needs to get, he still needs to address to go into the championship because there's some wily managers in the championship who will be able to say, look, we know that if we can just hold out and be patient and keep our defensive discipline, Norwich aren't going to thread themselves through and they're not going to throw anything else at us because they only ever play one way. So it's really interesting that you touch on um, Farker's inability to change or to try something new, because I think post restart, he's probably tried it a bit too much. So we've had a 4-5-1, we've had a 4-3-3, we've had a 4-2-3-1. We've had some kind of weird, what, you know, resembled, you know, a Christmas tree formation um, to me as well. And, you know, and he's dabbled with three at the back. And it's almost like pre-restart or, you know, kind of pre-COVID, Farker was fairly disciplined in his plan and he knew what it was. And he's reflected so much, you know, kind of when he went back to Germany, he's, he's almost just frantically looking for a solution that just isn't there because the players aren't of the requisite quality or, you know, they haven't got the, the, the real belief and confidence to be able to go and do that job. And so I think we could probably make quite a lot of, of him changing tactically. I think he's done it a bit too much, but I think it's, a, it's more around the fact that the club put, and Michael Bailey talks about this, I think, you know, kind of when we've, we've spoken before about it, the club put so much onus on Southampton and Everton, and then we lost both of those games. And then that was it. I think psychologically, the squad have checked out. They've just been like, well, that's it. You know, we, we put all our eggs in this basket and the basket's blown up in our face, and, you know, and we've got egg all over our face and, and now we're fucked. It, it almost seems to be as simple as that to me, post-restart. Had. Yeah, I mean, I would oh, so many good points there, boys. I wouldn't really disagree with anything I've heard there. What I would say is, and it's not by, but I, I go back and I've touched on this recently that December period, end of November, maybe start of January, where you know how many games were they ahead and they to singularly fail to retain their leads in the majority of those games. I think they got a few draws along way. I think somebody worked out it had been 15 points better off. Well, you had 15 to where they are now. Um, then the reality is Farker's being held as a, this man really is a footballing genius that with this group of players, with not much in the way of recruitment, um, he's managed to essentially at least take it to the final game or the final couple of games. And no, it would be you know, 50, you could 15 maybe more points. Back. 15, 15 more points we would be um, if getting a result at the editor, Etihad would keep us up. But, I mean, you could then come back to me and say, well, okay, yeah, they were leading in games. Why, to take your point there, Tom, why didn't he then foresee trends that were happening in games? Why didn't he make changes from the bench, doing something tactically 
So yeah, maybe maybe that does reflect on him, but it reflects for me equally on those players that he actually set that team team up in all of those games: Sheffield United, Wolves, Tottenham, Arsenal. Um, there's probably one or two of us I've forgotten. Uh, Palace. He'd set the team up and he's gone into those games with enough to have got his team into winning positions. So mm. where do you, where do you where do you set the counter? You know, is it you blame Farker that they blew those leads? Do you blame the players? I think you have to look collectively, don't you? But I, I do think. It, it has been fine margins at that period of season. This now is, you know, the, the, up to me, you can't really make any excuses for him other than, you know, the loss of a Zimmerman or a Hanley, maybe, in terms of the injuries. I'm talking post-Southampton. Uh, I think, much like his team, he's been found wanting in this period of games. And, you know, it's hard to shake the feeling, and this concerns me now moving forward into the summer, but we looked, look at how haunted Alex Neil ended up at Car Road. You know, he... That six, seven months when he initially came in, culminating in getting lifted shoulder high by Bradley Johnson at Wembley, the Messiah, you know, Delia basically saying he's one of the best managers in Britain, Alec Ferguson, like, ruddy, da da da, roll it on 15, 18 months, and he's been shooed out the back door, and, you know, he was too loyal to players. But you even saw towards the end of that. Premier League season was it the Newcastle infamous game where he took Tete off and tried to do something different and then they couldn't buy a win for love nor money from the January onwards I think Gary O'Neill got sent off in the January that season and then it was very similar to me to to the the way they've meekly gone about it this season at the back end and just compliantly see you later Premier League we're off back to the championship and we all saw then moving this forward now how that it was almost like the scarring was so deep with Alec Neal he couldn't turn it around now what we and we won't know until you know probably two three months into next season whether that's the case with Farker is he so you know badly beaten up mentally himself that he's doubting himself it, it, you know things that he's, he's got him to this position at Norwich and got them against all the odds into the Premier League in the first place does he now to take John's point about he did seem to be doing a lot of chopping and changing frantically trying to find something that works if he's now started to have those self doubt and that self belief has been really knocked then that isn't going to help Norwich try to get back to where they're trying to get back to. So for me, that that's something to keep an eye on. I think now moving through the summer, where hopefully Weber and we've started to see signs of it, maybe they're going to rectify some of the recruitment mistakes, albeit in a, back in the championship where it's a bit easier to get the right type of player, Buendia Puki, for example. Um, but ultimately, will Farker, with whatever personnel he's got, be able to, to coalesce into a team who are good enough to be really challenging at the top end of the table? A conspiracy theory for you. Um... John, you, you referenced uh, the um, the much uh, heralded. We've spent loads of time already preparing and, and soul searching of what went wrong in the three months. So apparently, there's been lots of Zoom calls with the exec committee and and Daniel Farker about what um, you know what has gone wrong and what could we do better. Is it potentially um, actually an edict from them that actually you have been too inflexible and you do need to try and change things a bit too much now? Because what I said before, John, just to clarify, um, in order for, for him to tick the box in his development and, and get an A from us or even a, a B from me would be um, <laughs> being, a, being able to... He had an A when he won the league. He's never going to get an A from you, mate. He did when he won the league. I said he could have four more years well, on his contract. Hang on. No, yeah, but you said that, but also about five minutes ago, you said there were massive flaws. Yeah, there are massive, major flaws. There, there, there were there were a couple of major flaws. Basically, there were major flaws, and he addressed a few of them. But there were we were still worried about the fact that we couldn't defend the corner and we couldn't defend crosses coming in. Uh, and you know, we were still concerned about the fact that if Plan A doesn't work, then oh, oh well, we'll go on to the next game. And those two things haven't been fixed at all in the Premier League. So um, th- th- there's still major blots on his on his copy paper. Um, for for him to to show tactical 
flexibility just to clarify that it needs to work just just changing the formation you know agree yeah it's a start that he's, it's a start that he's trying it but it has he has to try it and it actually make make it a, an impactful difference on the pattern of the game that's that for me that's the biggest thing to, to be honest it's even bigger than the, the set piece thing because yeah a lot of that is down to the, the, the players um the the fact is sometimes we have seen and particularly at carroll road we've seen it we've seen uh phil parkinson um we, we've seen alex neil we've seen uh managers set up to frustrate norwich and they, we just don't have an answer for it. They do not have an answer for it. And luckily, in the championship season, what happened was eventually we finally kept knocking on the door until a, a perfect pass was finally played. And we had lots and lots of nearly perfect passes, usually from Steepman. He's the best nearly assist player in the history of Norwich City. So nearly sets up brilliant things. Um, and effectively, um, we, we're almost hoping that that's going to happen again. Um, I, I think he's been really unfortunate with how poor... His, their, luck, their luck has been and, and there is because there's luck in transfers yes yes of course you have to be um there's a lot of skill in spotting a player and scouting a player and obviously negotiating to get him in on a good deal but um to have every single one be amongst the worst players to ever play in the premier league for norwich city um i mean that is really unfortunate i mean if rupp was even half decent you know if Dermich scored five goals you know, if, if they were even, if a couple of them were okay, then maybe a couple of those losses are wins. And, and it certainly doesn't look as bad. But for literally every single one, I mean, every player that's come in since we won the league, all Norwich fans would, not including this transfer window, you know, everyone that's come in and played, pretty much I'd like every single one of them to leave. And I, don't, I mean, Sam nothing... Byram, you'd have to give, excuse Sam Byram, in fairness. Oh, sorry. I, yeah. I, I count Sam Byram as championship because um, he, he played when we were still good. So I, I forget. Did he, oh, not, right. did he not join us until August? No, he joined I, in the summer. Yeah. I, I thought he came in January and, was, and, and then didn't play. I thought he was one of those that signed early and didn't. But anyway, you, you no. get my point. The point is, in, in general, yeah. with, with Byram aside, the players that were brought in to, to strengthen us have made us worse, without exception. And that's just, that, that's, that is, is unlucky really at best. It is really unfortunate. And, and probably our marquee signing of the summer, so you look at Ibrahim Amadou, and, and everyone looked at that and just thought, right, Teddy replacement, we've got our defensive midfielder. You know, he's a lad who, there was already a, a contractual agreement that if we stayed up, we were going to sign the lad, you know, all being well. He looked like a brilliant signing. This is a chap, who's skippered, um, I think it was Lille when, when Bielsa was there. He skippered a side that Bielsa's in charge of. You know, this isn't a guy who's any slouch. This is a guy who can get his foot in and can also play football. But for whatever reason, that just didn't work at, at Norwich City Football Club. Now, whether that's because he didn't have enough football in his preferred role because of the, the injury crisis, I don't know. But that was one that I looked at and just thought, there's so much right about that transfer. For it to go so badly wrong, I, I just couldn't fathom it. And for, I think, you know, what, what you're saying, Tom, is that the recruitment has let Farker down to an extent. And if you look at Weber's record since he's come in, you know, in that recruitment team, you'd probably say between like 55 and 60% of the signings had all, you know, kind of added value. And that's probably punching above average, you know, in terms of your, your I think it's more than that. Measure. I think it would probably be yeah. more than that over, the, over all the windows. But say, say we say, say, I don't know, for argument's sake, 60%. And, and from what I read, the, the average hit rate is more like 45, 50%. So he's still punching above average. This season, it's just all gone wrong. Sam Byram aside, you know, and we signed, you know, five, six players and none of them are fired. And 
I just I can't see that happening again at Norwich under Stuart Webber and this recruitment team. It, it just it feels like it was the combination of bad luck and probably bad recruitment. And um, I I don't expect what I would say is that tw- end of 2017-18 we ended that in really poor fashion. We got absolutely drubbed five one at Hillsborough. And I remember I, th- I can't even remember if it was if it was you Pad or it was um, Michael Bailey or sort tweeting and it almost intimating. Actually, from a from a momentum point of view, from a psychological point of view, the club's going to find it really difficult going into eighteen nineteen because of this kind of hangover of, of getting absolutely dicked, you know, Hillsborough against a fairly average Sheffield Wednesday side who had that massive lump. I forget his name. He's about six foot seven up front and, and scored two or three against. Have you knew he is it? That's, that's the, the yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's an absolute beast. But you know, Norwich should be dealing with a, a player like that. But what the club then did over the summer is reflected properly, learnt the lessons properly and came back stronger. And I think we've probably got to trust a little bit in that process that actually Weber doesn't appear to me to be daft enough to, to make the same mistakes again. And they will reflect and they will make sure that they come back stronger. Yeah, I mean, I'll just add two caveats. Yeah, yeah and, and the players they're buying now, players they're bringing in now, and, and we've seen it graphically illustrated, to buy players to be good enough to improve you at championship level is absolutely stratospherically different to trying to do that in the Premier League with Norwich's budget, 20 out of 20, um, as Farker has alluded to quite rightly. You know, what have Villa spent? What have Sheffield United spent even? For all, for all the emphasis on the, the majority of those players are the same who came out of the division with Norwich. But So the recruitment, I think, is a lot easier uh, if you're Norwich in the in the championship than it is in the Premier League, and also the point being that Weber, compared to predecessors in in various roles with their hand on the on the on the purse strings, he's not able really to get too many wrong because they don't have deep reserves that they can go out and spend and spend and spend and spend. So there's there's such an added premium on every deal that Norwich do. Even now, even even now they're in a slightly more healthier financial situation than any point since he came in the club, which again he referenced last week. They still pretty much have to try and get every single deal right. And, and John's right. What stands out, if you look at Weber in terms of his recruitment at Norwich, is that this window is just to, to a man has gone horrendously wrong this past two transfer windows. And that, to me, is a, is a bit of an anomaly. If you look at Weber from, from, the, full, from the, the get-go, OK, Marley Watkins, Ben Marshall, yeah, we can all pick individuals out. But to pluck a, pluck a guy in a team going to the third tier of Spain who's now conservatively 20, 25 million pound player, Timu Pugi, free transfer. Tim Krull, let's not forget, free transfer. Nobody wanted to take a, 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 the a, season. a go on him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Had some stunning, uh, I don't think that's over-exaggerating to say some stunning... Tr- coups in the transfer market but mixed in with that and then figures John Quay probably bears it out they've had some dogs as well so you know maybe at the minute bit like Daniel bit like the players there's less um, willingness amongst a proportion of your fan base to maybe cut them some slack but there's no doubt if you look at the overview Stuart Webber's recruitment has, has been pretty decent I think given the resources he's got at Norwich John, give us something from the ACM mailbag. I understand we've had uh, a record-setting number of tweets from Facebook, whatever Facebook things are called, posts. Um, I think, well, not necessarily record-setting, but we've actually had some intelligent questions, which, you know, very often they're just just nonsensey questions. Uh, But let's start off with our friend, Ivan Adcock. And he, this is quite a, a big question. But he's, he's asked, what do you do to change the mentality of football fans from we need to spend more to 
everyone else is spending too much when there's people starving? Ooh, that's deep. That's that's, a deep. Yeah, I'm not sure that's a football question. I mean, effectively, well, it is. I think it's. Where, 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 does, where does Ivan even stand on it? Do we know? Has he given us his thoughts either in that post or subsequently? Is he a, no, is he a spend or don't spend? He's left it. He's left it for us. Really. I mean, on on that, the the issue with the other clubs having a lot more money than us is not necessarily the same as whether or not people are hungry. I mean, effectively. Um, the, if the bubble was ever going to burst, it was going to be the pandemic that did it, and it hasn't. So, um, I think well, it hasn't yet. I think that the effects of the pandemic are going to take a while to to reverse. I, I know, but we, but effectively, we had a couple of you know one one club go, one club very nearly go recently with Wigan, um, and it's I I cannot I cannot get past the um, I cannot get past the the notion that there will have to be some form of salary cap going forward. And if that means that there is a European Super League um, and the top six or seven of the Premier League go and join it, fantastic. That would be brilliant. Let's have, let's have four divisions, all with a salary cap that, that goes up and down from one to four. Um, some kind of um, percentage of your gate could be involved in that as well um, because, you know, Portsmouth are getting whatever they're getting in League Two or, or League One, and therefore they should be allowed to spend a bit more because it's fair that they they have got a bigger, they have got bigger, they've got more money through support and fan base and infrastructure, or whatever. Um, I, I think that that that's the only way football can ever go. Where is it ever going to be remotely fair? But in the meantime, it's it's like you know going going to the beach and shouting at the tide. Like it is what it is. That we we can't you you can't change it until the authorities change it and that will only happen when there's the opportunity through something like a super league or whatever where where, where there's a breakaway and there's a fundamental restructuring of the, the infrastructure of, of 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 our football league when something like that will happen i know it was talked about for, for league one wasn't it and league two having a salary cap after yeah. the, the recent recent stuff paddy yeah it was wasn't it um but again you know this collective bargaining position has to be reached on i mean as talking League One there, Tom. I mean, clearly the Peterboroughs of this world wanted to come back, didn't they? Um, to shift the sort of focus a little bit. And there was clearly a, a major split there in League One clubs. And that was just on the issue of whether you came back after. I think if it gets down to the financial nitty gritty, I, I don't see there being enough collective consensus. For me, this will only change when, because ultimately we're talking about the Football League here, but it's really about the Premier League. It's about the, the only reason Norwich and the other 19 clubs are back is because they had to fulfil contractually uh, the broadcast element of, of Project Restart um, because the broadcasters are all powerful. Um, they call the tune, essentially. So until these three-year cycles of, of broadcast revenue deals substantially start to drop and whether that's you know, the Netflix of this world have had a dabble on the Amazons and maybe they go away and then Sky and BT decide that it's not worth paying what they are paying, which is billions and billions and billions of pounds every three years, domestic and overseas, um, phenomenal sums. And every three-year deal has been bigger than the previous three-year deal. So until that that boom almost uh, it gets deflated, I, I don't see it changing because really, let's be honest, the Football League are the tail on the dog. I mean, they do whatever the Premier League do in terms of the solidarity payments um, and, and the sustainability that the Premier League will dictate forevermore when it comes to what happens with the English game uh, and, and they will in turn only dictate for as long as companies want to pay them billions of pounds so uh, sadly for me in the short to mid term I don't see I don't think anything materially changing and it'll be very hard for the Football League 
as an entity separate to the Premier League to try and bring in. I mean, I saw a report the other day that talking off salary caps that it might get to the point where the Premier League players would have to go out on strike in terms of solidarity. Do you think that's going to happen? Absolute non-starter. So, you know, they, they, you can read those sort of things, but the actual prospect of like we had nearly in the 60s when they when Jimmy Hill drove the, that process to abolish the, the maximum wage, oh, I don't think that's ever, ever going to happen because there's just too much money at the top end of the game and that's going into players' pockets, rep, agents and also clubs. Next question, John. Cool. Let's go for Tony Sumner on Twitter. And he's asking of us, he'd like to know which of the Youth Academy prospects, young signings and loanies that have been out recently, um, do we see breaking into the first team and making an impact in the championship? Uh, I think that's probably a good question because I haven't seen many people talk about the next cab off the rank. You know, I mean, clearly it was Adam Eder and it was uh, potentially Josh, Josh Martin this season as well, you know, who's, who's proved able enough to, to kind of step up in Farker's eyes. But beyond that, I mean, Pad, you'll probably be plugged in a bit more to this. Beyond maybe someone like Akin, is it Akin Fermainwo? Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I guess he he might be able to, I don't know how he got on because um, he was on loan north of the border, was it St Mirren, I think. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. I don't know how, he's, yeah. I don't know I how mean, he did there. Yeah, I, I don't think he pulled up any trees to be brutally honest, but I mean, for me, it's very clear when you, when you get asked that type of question, there's a there's a clear and we've seen it with an Adam Eder and Josh Martin are the two latest. There seems to be a clear separation between the ones who they think are close enough to Norwich's first team that no, you're not going anywhere. Adam Eder, I don't care. Um, you're too good at this stage and too close to our first team that you are staying with us. And, and obviously now he's a fully fledged first team squad player. Josh Martin seems to have made that transition. Before him, it was Aaron's, it was Lewis. Um, Cantwell was slightly different, he, and he's spoken about this. He maybe wasn't that close at a certain phase, and he had to go out to Holland and, and do what he did at Fortuna Sitter. So, for me, I, immediately when I, when I look at, look at the, the best young players, who are the best young players, Daniel and Stuart think? Well, it's the ones who they don't, they don't let go out on loan. And that, at the minute, is clearly, clearly Adam Eder. It's Josh Martin, um, and I wouldn't look beyond those two uh, in terms of next season. If we're talking about lads who could actually come in and play some games uh, with a degree of regularity, maybe not regular starters, but certainly get substantial amounts of minutes in the first team for Norwich next season. I think that don't look beyond those two, basically. Looping it back into the first question, John, about how do you stop play, um, how do you stop fans asking for you to spend big money? Doing things like starting Adam Eder instead of a Dermic is a good way of doing that. Um, effectively, if you if you have a young lad who has scored a hat trick in his FA Cup debut um, and looks the part, um, looks strong, looks hungry, looks keen, um, why why is he not getting Premier League minutes? It, it, it absolutely baffles me that from the moment that Premier League relegation was confirmed, why are we not saying, go on then Adam, absolutely no pressure on your shoulders at all, go and run about a bit. You know, Timu's knackered or I've fallen out with Timu, whatever the reason is that Timu's not getting minutes. Um, you know, I'm going to give a half to Adam and a half to Timu. What, what, why bother doing, doing anything else? Um, so I, I, I'm concerned about whether or not Adam either will be involved next year, just purely because he seemed to come in and fall out of favour in the space of two games this year. But I, I, I mean, don't think he's you know. fallen out of favour, though. I think it's more I about Farker's looked at it and gone psychologically, is it the right thing? And probably the club's looked at this collectively and gone psychologically, is it the right time to be placing a little bit of pressure on a, on a young man's shoulders? There's um, no pressure when yeah. you're relegated. When you're relegated, you, 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 all, all you can do is be the hero. Pressure. Not necessarily pressure, but it's 
maybe it's the wrong vibe right now. Maybe it is all quite down and maybe pre-season is the right time to go. Do you know what? We'll be playing a few friendlies where they're kind of gimme and we're expected to, to go and win 5-6-0. And if Adam either starts a couple of them, gets a hat-trick or gets a couple of goals, great. But at the moment, let's bring him off the bench and you know, and just, just see what he's made of against more tired legs. I, I can see some logic in that. To, to go back to, again, to go back to the original question and, and what Ivan was, was asking, there's also you know, the argument to say that actually finishing most games with five, six academy products, um, you know, if we can continue to do that successfully, and it does have to be successfully, which, which this campaign hasn't been, then that will probably prove to a lot of people that you can develop your own and you, know, you don't have to, to go out and spend oodles of cash. So I think Norwich are kind of making a statement in that regard to, to finish a lot of Premier League games with that many youngsters um, you know, on the pitch. Should we have another question? Yeah, sorry, I was on mute. Yeah, right. Let's go for one on Instagram, which is from Richard Scolding, and he asks, why do, why do Norwich seem to always buy skillful but lightweight players? Both the Premier League and Championship demand physicality with skills these days. Can we address that over the summer with three or four key signings? Well, the new lad, the new lad's got some guns um, from, the, <laughs> from, the, from the initial pictures. Um, what the? The uh, winger. What, what, what was it? Sorry, Pad? Pachetta. Pachetta. Um, yeah, so Pachetta looks, looks strong and he looks, he sort of look, looks rangy. And, and from the YouTube uh, video montage that I was kindly sent in Lad Bant's chat, it, he, he looks like he can handle himself a bit. Um, the, uh, I, I don't actually think that we do uh, have, have that problem. I don't actually agree with the question because um, Emmy's. got it at Premier League level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. We've got it at the question was the, the question was specifically around championship as well, wasn't it? And and you know, so you M- said both the Premier League and Championship it, demand it. And I think yeah, so Championship right we haven't got Premier League definitely. But we didn't have a problem with winning the league. We weren't getting we weren't getting knocked off, getting getting pushed around. McLean is McLean is nails. Um, Tribal is 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 a, a tough customer. Emmy's got an incredibly low center of gravity. Um, Campwell is a, a lighter weight. He's got that balletic movement, like Pat says, but actually. He he gets out of trouble, you know, comfortably enough, and also he's he's good at he's good at getting a foul. Is is Todd like he he seems to have got that James Madison um, ability to get the ref on side quite quickly in terms of you know flopping to the ground in a in a believable fashion. So I I don't think that we are a particularly lightweight team in the Premier League. If anything, we were pushed around too much at the back, and I'm not. I mean, I've had the, the pleasure of being in in, in Mr. Godfrey's comf- company two or three times. He's, I'm not saying anything about how strong he is. He, he's a he's a unit, um, and and likewise, you you and I, we've had we've had Zimbo on the pod as well, John. He he's no <laughs> no, no little lad. But there's, there's, yeah, yeah physicality-wise, we've been bullied a bit in 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 defence. I think um, I, I think that's coaching. Uh, I don't think that's size. Um, and and yeah, I, I, I personally, I, I'm not too too worried about uh, about athletically our, our build going into the championship season. I'm worried about scoring some goals. Yeah, funnily enough, wherever I've pumped them out in my column today, not that I'm plugging, but uh, it's on the pink. And if you want to go and read it, and, and he not plug in at all. Not at all, no, no, no. <laughs> he, he reads the entire URL slug. Not that I'm plugging. <laughs> no, if I'd have known this question was coming, I'd have definitely plugged it, but now I'm just pushing it out there. But, but, he, but he was asked specifically, what are the lessons that you, Stuart Webber, are going to take away? And obviously, you know, recruitment, da 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 But he referenced, and it was off the back of 
Mikel Antonio completely bullying him closer and, and Godfrey to a lesser extent the other day. And he, he, uh, and he referenced, you know, Wolves, Adama Troy, that pretty much every team they've come up against, the power that these teams have, Norwich don't have it in the same quantities anywhere near. And it's not just pace, it's, it's that physicality. And, and that, if that's Joe Webber saying that that's one of his leading lessons that he's taking away, then you can be damn sure that given, okay, in the interim, it's all about recover, go again, try and get out of the championship. But if Stuart Webber's still any, anything to do with Norwich City when they, when or if they're back in the Premier League, guarantee that he will be looking at players who fit that criteria. And I think Sorensen, by all accounts, he is, I mean, he's, you look at him, he's a big, powerful lad. The lad they brought in start of the week, uh, defensive midfielder. I think maybe he's a signal that they're going to look a bit more in that direction, that they do need a bit more brawn as well as the, as well as the brain. Well, they've got Akin Fenwa to practice on this season, haven't they? So yeah, you, you, need to, you need to be on the weights the week you, you're going and facing him. Right, last question from the listeners then, John. Last question. Let's round off with Louis Watts from Facebook. And he's asked for our realistic predictions for next season. And I presume he's talking about where we're going to finish. And will Pookie be able to re- reproduce the form of the championship campaign? Look at first, Pat, as the guest. Yeah, OK, well... First part, I think, and you touched on it earlier, Tom, it does concern me uh, hugely that in, given the hangover that they're going to take into the summer, even though they're obviously now trying to address quite early uh, the, the squad issue, um, an abbreviated pre-season as well. And then you, you basically, as Alex Tete's already talked about, that mentality from losing, losing, losing every week, feeling you know, you've got no chance in these games, to suddenly then, right, you're one of the favourites for promotion, go out, dominate games, win games. And I know it's at a, a lower level and it should be, in theory, easier. And of course, you know, it's going to be the same head coach and maybe a lot of the same players who romped to the championship title under this thrilling sort of diet of attacking football. All well and good. But how how quickly they can they can turn that around mentally as much as anything else will, will ultimately dictate, you know, what we can hope for the next season. I mean, for me, if you were to the benchmark by the club's own measure is that they, they want Norwich to be a top 25, top 26 club. Well, essentially what they're saying is we're either in the Premier League or in the top six of the championship. So for me, you, your baseline next season, expectation-wise, has, has to be the playoffs. And it, and if they shed that hangover, if the mentality can be turned around quicker, then I, I fear it will be then. Who knows? The top two, again, isn't beyond them. But I think realistically, if they could get themselves in the playoffs, I think that's that, that's probably the best I feel they can probably hope for. Um, because we saw it again, Alex Neal's tenure, um, Neil Adams's tenure um, wasn't going anywhere, hence why they brought Alex Neal in. Um, I think we'll, we'll, we'll get a very clear idea within two months how, how that season's going to pan out for me. And in terms of the second part of that, Pookie, I fear that we might have seen the best of the GOAT. I think, you know, he, he played so much football from sort of the last season at Bromby, Bromby, then into Norwich for his country as well. Such an important player. Um, and he looks to me like maybe he's, he's probably, his better days are behind him. And that, that would be sad because it was like a shooting star. What he did in that first 12, 15 months at Norwich was phenomenal given he was a free transfer. But from what I've seen since December onwards, since he's done his footer really, I don't think he's been the same player. Um, and if he's got too many miles on the clock and too much wear and tear, I don't think we're going to get the team of Pookie back. We saw ripping up the championship. Hence why, as you rightly say, Tom, we need to start thinking about Ida. We need to start thinking about Sonani, if he can step up or going out and, and getting in somebody else who can lead the line. Because ultimately, particularly if they don't address the defensive issues we've touched on in this pod, 
they're going to need to score bagfuls of goals again to do anything in terms of getting to the top end of the championship. So I hope I'm proved wrong, but I fear I fear we might have seen the best of the goat in the Norwich shirt. Yeah, well, off the back of that, just to add, then if if you don't if you think the the hangover is going to take a while to get over, um, then uh, how long do you think the the Farker will have? Um, if we are more than than two results away from from the the, the playoffs, uh, and I'll, I'll kind of supplement that with, um, let's just take as a given that the football we're playing is still of the right quality. So you know, if if he if we really struggle in the first three or four games, and we're also not actually playing pretty football. Yeah, his, his days are really numbered because then you're not yet. Then you haven't even got the argument. Yeah, but that's the way that Norwich want to play, etc. So let's just take as a given he's always going to keep playing really, really good football. How long does he get? Do you think to get rid of that hangover before they say you haven't done it? We need to move on. Well, ultimately, one thing you do know with Stuart Webber is <laughs> there'll be no misplaced loyalty, and and he did say when I actually put that directly to him, that as long as he's there, Daniel will be there with the caveat, unless he feels he's taken him as far as he can. Now, there's a good get-out clause there. And you saw what happened with David Wagner at Huddersfield. He felt that second season in the Premier League that he just could not, for whatever reason, couldn't do the job as he wanted to do it. And he stepped aside. So if you're talking in terms of how would it end, I think it would end that way. I don't think there'd be Daniel called in, um, sorry, um, we're going to get rid of you. Because I, I think the relationship is is too entwined for, for, for them to ever fall out to that degree. But in terms of how long, well, you know, that season they won the title, people maybe tend to forget, but when they went to Ipswich in very early on in September, um, both clubs were bottom six, um, Norwich were losing that game. I think he might have gone. If they'd have lost at Portman Road that day, I think Daniel Farker would have gone because, you know, you'd have been in the probably the bottom three, bottom four. You're getting beat by Ipswich after, we all know, you know, black and white. Football was still what we want. <laughs> so it would be at Norwich. So I think he'd have been gone. So if Stuart Webber was, would have pulled the trigger then, then okay, he's got a lot more credit in the bank overall since that point. But ultimately, go back to what I said in the previous answer, Norwich need to be in the top six next season if they're fulfilling this club strategy uh, mission statement that they've now hung their hat on. We've heard it from Zoe Ward, we've heard it from Stuart Webber, Daniel Farker when he signed his new deal. The aim on their watch is Norwich for a top 26 club. So if they're not looking like they can be in the top six, September, October, I think we'll be having a change manager. But as I say, I think it would be very much uh, mutual in every sense of the word rather than your time's up, Daniel. That was why, that was something I touched on the previous pod, which was that um, I, I wouldn't, if I was Weber now, um, I would, or any of any of them in charge in the exec committee, I wouldn't be putting the trigger on, on Daniel either. Um, I mean, you know, the entwined thing, I get that. But like you say, they're, they're very shrewd operators who are in charge of the club and they'll find a way of, of, of saying what they actually meant by that statement if they ever needed to. Um, what I find interesting is the difference between this and, and the Neil regime and, to be honest, the early Daniel regime, um, is, as in Alex Neil and Daniel Farker regime, is there's not that, other than Teddy, that there isn't any older statesman in the in the locker room that's going to go knocking on anyone's door and say, look, the lads can't stand this. The lads aren't happy with this. And so I think Daniel Farker's in... I think Hanley or Cruel would do that. No, because they're not... They haven't been there. I'm talking people who've been there eight, nine years. I'm talking about people who have, who have truly got, you know, that predated him and have truly got the ear of the exec committee. And besides mm-hmm. from Teddy, you know, you know the sorts of people I'm referring to from previous 
previous regimes. And I, I think I, I think I think that Farker it benefits from the fact that they've managed to get rid of the, the those kind of long-standing people, and it's, it's mostly his era that, that are there now. Um, I I personally think that it will be obvious maybe by. Um, I mean, we're not starting until September, so October is only the second month of the season. I think end of October, we're eight, eight to ten games in. At the start of November, the weather's turning. It will be clear to see, because Weber's really, really engaged in the football side of things, at Colney, etc. It will be clear to see that Pukki's not firing. Pukki and Daniel have fallen out. Um, whatever, Whoever's replaced Toddy, if Toddy's gone, whoever's replaced Emmy, if Emmy's gone, is not at the same standard. We need to do something to shake off this hangover. We, you know, the, 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 the mood around the camp isn't right. Um, I don't. I actually think that they they'd move to to change it quite quickly. Going back to what I said about the the, the sorry the earlier earlier pod we did a couple of pods ago, I almost think the best the best thing that could happen to all parties would be for Daniel to go this summer of his own accord if there was an opportunity at a maybe second tier German club, for example, who had some decent cash and we're on the way back up or just came down from the Bundesliga. I don't know the league well enough. I only watch English football. I don't, I'm afraid I don't follow European football, but um, if that was to happen, um, he, even though he's had this dreadful run, he would still be able to go out on a, yeah, but you were the guy that delivered that incredible season and you, you, you he hasn't been booed at Carroll Road. He hasn't said, sort it out. He hasn't had, we don't know what you're doing. He hasn't had that kind of thing that will chip away at the legacy. That, that you look at Alex Neal on the, that incredible day at Wembley, you're always going to think, yeah, but then we sort of criticised you and had a go at you afterwards, and it, and it sort of spoiled it a bit. So I wouldn't get rid of him. And I and the, the point I would make on on and, and I go up and down on Farker. Basically, if we win, he's brilliant. If we lose, he, he's not. And I'm, I, I make no bones about being a simple football fan when it comes to that. But the the reason it doesn't make sense to get rid of him. It's because if you're going to get rid of him, what are you looking for? You're looking for someone who's going to play football that's going to entertain you and has got experience, if possible, of getting out of the decision of the division. <laughs> so therefore, Daniel Farker is, 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 ticks both those boxes. So why would you go into, into the championship with anyone other than him? Um, it, it purely comes down to, does the recruitment gel? Can he get over the hangover quick, quick enough? And have we got a bit more defensive grit um, than, than we currently have shown in the last couple of seasons? And, I think you only need to get two of the three of those right to be top 10 pretty much all season. If you get three out of three of those right, you are going to be top six. So it's, it's a big ask for me to get top six. So, so to go back to the original question, John, my prediction is, um, my prediction is um, I, I want to be cup half full and I think he will get two of those three, three things right. I, I cannot believe the recruitment is going to go as badly wrong again. And, I, and part of me thinks the overhang will, um, will, will be helped by the fact that we're hopefully going to get some supporters back in the stands not too long into the season. It's not going to be straight away, but hopefully not too into the season. There'll start to be some noise. And it will, it will, that will be such a clear change between last season playing behind closed doors to this new season. Yeah. I think that will mentally help them that only after the first four or five games, there might be some fans back, even if it's only you know, half full or whatever. So I, I, I'm hopeful that actually we will finish in the top 10, 10 next year and always be within a couple of results of top six because that's the way the championship is. You, you know, you, you're in it if you're in 10th, probably right up until the last, well, we've had it this season again, haven't we? Right up until the last, like Swansea was something like 12th and right up until the last two or three games, they could, they could still get in the playoffs. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I'd, I'd probably concur with a lot of what you guys have said. And and just to go back to, to Stuart Weber and would he pull the trigger, I mean, I was, I had it from a, a very reliable source who I spent some time with um, who kind of works in and around the club that prior to the Middlesbrough game that, that we went and won 1-0 at Carrow Road, that Farker had three games effectively to, to actually sort it out. Otherwise, there was probably going to be a part of the ways. So I don't think Weber is necessarily, you know, he can say, look, Daniel's my man, and, and if he's not here, then I probably won't be here. But he's savvy enough to make sure that, that actually, you know, he will, he will take action and decisive action if needs be. But I think I'd be, I'd be way more half, half, glass, glass half full than you guys if we can replace Emi Buendia's creativity. Because in the championship, he was the one who conjured something from nothing. He was the one that had played a, a tricky little through ball, um, you know, kind of in the, in the last minute. He was the one that always made something happen. Provided we can come up with an alternative to him. Now, whether that's someone that we've got at the club already, like Todd Cantwell, whether it's the new lad, Poeta, or however we're saying that. Yeah, to- Toddy, plus, um, Toddy plus pace on the wings. You know, the, yeah, the, the, I, the, I when was the last might... time we had two? It was basically the Murphy twins, and they were never both they in really good form at the same time. But yeah, they were never, well, they were never in really good form at the same time. One yeah. had his really good season, and the other one had his really good season. But, you know, the, the, the prospect so, yeah. of having Hernandez and Poeta, po- sorry, was it Poeta? Pocheta, Pocheta, I don't know. Pocheta, do. yeah. Yeah, Shemek. Let's call him that. Um, yeah. So provided, you know, a couple of those signings come off and we can re- kind of refine that creativity, I think Puki will fire again. I think if, if Puki is given the quality of chances that, that he did, that he was afforded in the, that championship campaign, I think he will start to find the net regularly again. And then we can have something to look forward to. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go fourth. And if we really get a, a kind of some wind behind us, then possibly top two. Okay. What was the best question, uh, Paddy? Because the winner of the best question will be sent a limited edition running out fast ACN face mask. Ivan's, I think I was quite taken with that. The old uh, philosophical life environment wrapped around a Norwich City question. I thought it was good. He's good for them. Well, Ivan, get in touch. We'll sort you out a face mask, mate. That brings us to the end of Along Come Norwich this season. Uh, We'll be in touch either during the summer because we're planning a couple of little things that if they come off will be very fun. Um, But of course, we'll be back uh, to preview the new season. It won't actually be that long. Thank you for listening all season. Keep your rating, keep your reviews, keep giving us shit on Twitter. We really do enjoy it. Um, And in the meantime, mind how you go. When are the um, no circus tweets going to start then, Pad? I always like them. I've already seen a couple. Have you? I haven't seen yeah. it. I might retire that. It's probably gone a bit passe now, all of that. So I'm yeah, mate. People love that over summer. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, they'll probably be... Well, I mean, they seem to be doing a lot of their business now, but... Um, it's good. Yeah, I still yeah. think there'll be a few bits and pieces, yeah. I, I, don't, I think Weber's quite keen to definitively show uh, this, isn't it? I mean, the more intriguing... We'll probably get into this. The more intriguing is it 
is when he came out the other day when we went and spoke to him and he basically said separating out those younger players and what might happen to them but there'll be ones that they decide that's the end of the journey off you go boys but yeah. when you give however how many new deals last summer it's all well well and good saying right off you go but if they're all under contract yeah, exactly they have to have a better offer to go somewhere don't they so that's for me the quite fascinating element of this they've, they've decided I don't know hypothetically tribal liner it's good night Vienna that's fine from Norwich's point of view but what if those lads can't get as good a deal as they're on here so yeah. Well, Leitner's on a fairly good whack as well, from what yeah. we hear. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, are they, yeah. they going to say, I mean, obviously, Leitner, well, yeah, they did pay money for Leitner, didn't they? But Tribal, I suppose, was a free. So, can you say more or less, well, we're not overly fussed about recouping a huge amount of money in terms of a fee, yeah. just get him out the door, sort of thing. But, yeah, yeah I don't know. It's, uh, that's the interesting element. And whether that's Ranchich, Steeperman, you know, ultimately, you are going to need to retain a fairly sizable core, but ultimately you're asking lads who you probably didn't fancy this season to go again. So again, that comes down to Farker, doesn't it? How he gets them back yeah. on. Yeah, I think I think he'll be all right with Steeperman. A tribal looks to me. He's always looked to me right, like shush, he's got punk, some kind of ready. All right, are we starting now? Sorry, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Don't don't do good content when. Well, I mean, it's, it is recording, but it's I'm I'm not editing it and slipping it in. Uh, <laughs> all right. right. All good. Welcome to the Long Come Norwich podcast. A regretful rambling.